Chapter Eighteen of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Lefanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen. A Midnight Visitor. The frightful warnings of Lady Knollys haunted me too. Was there no escape from the dreadful companion whom fate had assigned me? I made up my mind again and again to speak to my father and urge her removal. In other things he indulged me. Here, however, he met me dryly and sternly, and it was plain that he fancied I was under my cousin Monica's influence, and also that he had secret reasons for persisting in an opposite course. Just then I had a gay, odd letter from Lady Knollys, from some country house in Shropshire. Not a word about Captain Oakley. My eye skimmed its pages in search of that charmed name. With a peevish feeling I tossed the sheet upon the table, inwardly i thought how ill-natured and unwomanly it was after a time however i read it and found the letter very good-natured she had received a note from papa he had had the impudence to forgive her for his impertinence but for my sake she meant notwithstanding this aggravation really to pardon him and whenever she had a disengaged week to accept his invitation to knoll from whence she was resolved to whisk me off to london where, though I was too young to be presented at court and come out, I might yet, besides having the best manners and a good excuse for getting rid of Medusa, see a great deal that would amuse and surprise me. "'Great news, I suppose, from Lady Knollys,' said Madame, who always knew who in the house received letters by the post, and by an intuition, from whom they came. Two letters, you and your papa. She is quite well, I hope.' "'Quite well, thank you, madame.' Some fishing questions, dropped from time to time, fared no better, and as usual, when she was foiled even in a trifle, she became sullen and malignant. That night, when my father and I were alone, he suddenly closed the book he had been reading, and said, "'I heard from Monica Knollys to-day. I always liked poor Monny, and though she's no witch, and very wrong-headed at times,' yet now and then she does say a thing that's worth weighing did she ever talk to you of a time maud when you are to be your own mistress no i answered a little puzzled and looking straight in his rugged kindly face well i thought she might she's a rattle you know always was a rattle and that sort of people say whatever comes uppermost but that's a subject for me and more than once maud it has puzzled me he sighed "'Come with me to the study, little Maud.' So, he carrying a candle, we crossed the lobby and marched together through the passage, which at night always seemed a little awesome, darkly wainscoted, uncheered by the cross-light from the hall, which was lost at the turn, leading us away from the frequented parts of the house to that misshapen and lonely room, about which the traditions of the nursery and the servants' hall had had so many fearful stories to recount. I think my father had intended making some disclosure to me on reaching this room. If so, he changed his mind, or at least postponed his intention. He had paused before the cabinet, respecting the key of which he had given me so strict a charge, and I think he was going to explain himself more fully than he had done. But he went on instead to the table, where his desk, always jealously locked, was placed, and having lighted the candles which stood by it, he glanced at me and said, "'You must wait a little, Maud. I shall have something to say to you. 
Take this candle and amuse yourself with a book meanwhile. I was accustomed to obey in silence. I chose a volume of engravings and ensconced myself in a favourite nook in which I had often passed a half hour similarly. This was a deep recess by the fireplace, fenced on the other side by a great old escritoire. Into this I drew a stool, and with a candle and book I placed myself snugly in the narrow chamber. Every now and then I raised my eyes and saw my father either writing or ruminating, as it seemed to me, very anxiously at his desk. Time wore on, a longer time than he had intended, and still he continued absorbed at his desk. Gradually I grew sleepy, and as I nodded the book and room faded away, and pleasant little dreams began to gather round me, and so I went off into deep slumber. It must have lasted long, for when I wakened my candle had burnt out. My father, having quite forgotten me, was gone, and the room was dark and deserted. I felt cold and a little stiff, and for some seconds did not know where I was. I had been wakened, I suppose, by a sound which I now distinctly heard, to my terror approaching. There was a rustling, there was a breathing. I heard a creaking upon the plank that always creaked when walked upon in the passage. I held my breath and listened, and coiled myself up in the innermost recess of my little chamber. Sudden and sharp, a light shone in from the nearly closed study door. It shone angularly on the ceiling like a letter L reversed. There was a pause, then someone knocked softly at the door, which, after another pause, was slowly pushed open. I expected, I think, to see the dreaded figure of the link man. I was scarcely less frightened to see that of Madame de la Rougierre. She was dressed in a sort of grey silk, which she called her Chinese silk, precisely as she had been in the daytime. In fact, I do not think she had undressed. She had no shoes on, otherwise her toilet was deficient in nothing. Her wide mouth was grimly closed, and she stood scowling into the room with a searching and pallid scrutiny, the candle held high above her head at the full stretch of her arm. Placed as I was in a deep recess, and in a seat hardly raised above the level of the floor, I escaped her, although it seemed to me for some seconds, as I gazed on this spectre, that our eyes actually met. I sat without breathing or winking, staring upon the formidable image which, with upstretched arm, and the sharp lights and hard shadows thrown upon her corrugated features, looked like a sorceress watching for the effect of a spell. She was plainly listening, intensely. Unconsciously she had drawn her lower lip together between her teeth, and I well remember what a death-like and idiotic look the contortion gave her. My terror lest she should discover me amounted to positive agony. She rolled her eyes stealthily from corner to corner of the room, and listened with her neck awry at the door. Then to my father's desk she went. To my great relief her back was towards me. She stooped over it, with the candle close by. I saw her try a key. It could be nothing else, and I heard her blow through the wards to clear them. Then again she listened at the door, candle in hand and then with long tiptoe steps came back, and papa's desk in another moment was open, 
and madame cautiously turning over the papers it contained twice or thrice she paused glided to the door and listened again intently with her head near the ground and then returned and continued her search peeping into papers one after another tolerably methodically and reading some quite through while this felonious business was going on i was freezing with fear lest she should accidentally look round and her eyes light on me for i could not say what she might not do rather than have her crime discovered sometimes she would read a paper twice over sometimes a whisper no louder than the ticking of a watch sometimes a brief chuckle under her breath bespoke the interest with which here and there a letter or a memorandum was read for about half an hour i think this went on but at the time it seemed to me all but interminable on a sudden she raised her head and listened for a moment replaced the papers deftly closed the desk without noise except for the tiny click of the lock extinguished the candle and rustled stealthily out of the room leaving in the darkness the malign and hag-like face on which the candle had just shone still floating filmy in the dark why did i remain silent and motionless while such an outrage was being committed if instead of being a very nervous girl preoccupied with an undefinable terror of that wicked woman i had possessed courage and presence of mind i dare say i might have given an alarm and escaped from the room without the slightest risk but so it was i could no more stir than the bird who cowering under its ivy sees the white owl sailing back and forward under its predatory cruise not only during her presence but for more than an hour after i remained cowering in my hiding-place and afraid to stir lest she might either be lurking in the neighbourhood or return and surprise me you will not be astonished that after a night so passed i was ill and feverish in the morning to my horror madame de la rougierre came to visit me at my bedside not a trace of guilty consciousness of what had passed during the night was legible in her face she had no sign of late watching and her toilet was exemplary as she sat smiling by me full of anxious and affectionate inquiry and smoothed the coverlet with her great felonious hand i could quite comprehend the dreadful feeling with which the deceived husband in the arabian nights met his ghoul wife after his nocturnal discovery ill as i was i got up and found my father in that room which adjoined his bedchamber he perceived i am sure by my looks that something unusual had happened i shut the door and came close beside his chair oh papa i have such a thing to tell you i forgot to call him sir a secret and you won't say who told you will you come down to the study he looked hard at me got up and kissing my forehead said don't be frightened maud i venture to say it is a mare's nest at all events my child we will take care that no danger reaches you come child and by the hand he led me to the study when the door was shut and we had reached the far end of the room next the window i said but in a low tone and holding his arm fast oh sir you don't know what a dreadful person we have living with us madame de la rougierre i mean don't let her in if she comes she would guess what i am telling you and one way or another i am sure she would kill me tut tut child you must know that's nonsense he said looking pale and stern 
oh no papa i am horribly frightened and lady knollys thinks so too ha i dare say one fool makes many we all know what monica thinks but i saw it papa she stole your key last night and opened your desk and read all your papers stole my key said my father staring at me perplexed but at the same instant producing it stole it why here it is she unlocked your desk she read your papers for ever so long open it now and see whether they have not been stirred he looked at me this time in silence with a puzzled air but he did unlock the desk and lifted the papers curiously and suspiciously as he did so he uttered a few of those inarticulate interjections which are made with closed lips and not always intelligible but he made no remark then he placed me on a chair beside him and sitting down himself told me to recollect myself and tell him distinctly all i had seen this i accordingly did he listening with deep attention did she remove any paper asked my father at the same time making a little search i suppose for that which he fancied might have been stolen no i did not see her take anything well you are a good girl maud act discreetly say nothing to any one not even to your cousin monica directions which coming from another person would have had no great weight were spoken by my father with an earnest look and a weight of emphasis that made them irresistibly impressive and i went away with the seal of silence upon my lips sit down maud there you have not been very happy with madame de la rougierre it is time you were relieved this occurrence decides it he rang the bell tell madame de la rougierre that i request the honour of seeing her for a few minutes here my father's communications to her were always equally ceremonious in a few minutes there was a knock at the door and the same figure smiling curtsying that had scared me on the threshold last night like the spirit of evil presented itself my father rose and madame having at his request taken a chair opposite looking as usual in his presence all amiability he proceeded at once to the point madame de la rougierre i have to request you that you will give me the key now in your possession which unlocks this desk of mine with which termination he tapped his gold pencil case suddenly on it madame who had expected something very different became instantly so pale with a dull purplish hue upon her forehead that especially when she had twice essayed with her white lips in vain to answer i expected to see her fall in a fit she was not looking in his face her eyes were fixed lower and her mouth and cheek sucked in with a strange distortion at one side she stood up suddenly and staring straight in his face she succeeded in saying after twice clearing her throat i cannot comprehend monsieur ruffin unless you intend to insult me it won't do madame i must have that false key i give you the opportunity of surrendering it quietly here and now but who dares to say i possess such thing demanded madame who having rallied from her momentary paralysis was now fierce and voluble as i had often seen her before you know madame that you can rely on what i say and i tell you that you were seen last night visiting this room and with a key in your possession opening this desk and reading my letters and papers contained in it 
unless you forthwith give me that key and any other false keys in your possession in which case i shall rest content with dismissing you summarily i will take a different course you know i am a magistrate and i shall have you your boxes and places upstairs searched forthwith and i will prosecute you criminally the thing is clear you aggravate by denying you must give me that key if you please instantly otherwise i ring this bell and you shall see that i mean what i say there was a little pause he rose and extended his hand towards the bell-rope madame glided round the table extended her hand to arrest his i will do everything monsieur ruffin whatever you wish and with these words madame de la rougierre broke down altogether she sobbed she wept she gabbled piteously all manner of incomprehensible roulades of lamentation and entreaty coyly penitently in a most interesting agitation she produced the very key from her breast with a string tied to it my father was little moved by this piteous tempest he coolly took the key and tried it in the desk which it locked and unlocked quite freely though the wards were complicated he shook his head and looked her in the face pray who made this key it is a new one and made expressly to pick this lock but madame was not going to tell any more than she had expressly bargained for so she only fell once more into her old paroxysms of sorrow self-reproach extenuation and entreaty well said my father i promise that on surrendering the key you should go it is enough i keep my word you shall have an hour and a half to prepare in you must then be ready to depart i will send your money to you by mrs rusk and if you look for another situation you had better not refer to me now be so good as to leave me madame seemed to be in a strange perplexity she bridled up dried her eyes fiercely and dropped a great curtsey and then sailed away towards the door before reaching it she stopped on the way turning half round with a peaked pallid glance at my father and she bit her lip viciously as she eyed him at the door the same repulsive pantomime was repeated as she stood for a moment with her hand upon the handle but she changed her bearing again with a sniff and with a look of scorn almost heightened to a sneer she made another very low curtsey and a disdainful toss of her head and so disappeared shutting the door rather sharply behind her End of chapter eighteen